Today we have an update on the progress of three bills back in Washington, D.C. that directly affect the ranching industry. Yeah, it doesn't go as far as some people would like, and other folks say it goes too far. I think that's the beauty of a good bill that can pass to make a difference on your cattle operations. U.S. Cattlemen's Association's policy advisor, Jess Peterson, and Executive Vice President Leah Biondo join me today to discuss the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act, the country of origin labeling bill called the American Beef Labeling Act, and the A-Plus Act, granting sale barns to participate in small to medium-sized packing facilities. We get an update on all three of these on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. again everyone and we welcome you again to another episode of the working ranch radio show i'm justin mills and we appreciate you joining us here on our program today a great episode in store for you by the way today is episode 66 so if you want to go back and you want to listen to it on our podcast site you can do that if you just search in your web browser or in any podcast provider out there working ranch radio show we will show up there and not only can you listen to this program but you can also go back and listen to some other episodes or any of the previous episodes that we've had and we encourage you to do that if you like something you hear don't be afraid to make a comment on that or or let us know because uh, that gives us some idea of uh, if what we're doing or the shows or the topics that we're covering are relevant to you in the ranching industry i'm a rancher myself here in northeast wyoming and uh, i don't know if you were listening in last week's episode i shared with uh, with everybody that a lot of the inspiration i get for topics on the show is because what am i thinking about here in our ranch in northeast part of the state of wyoming and and some of the things that I'm thinking about or worrying about or or dealing with, that's the things that I, I try to come up with. And, and I know they're fairly relevant to most folks in the ranching industry here across the country. Well, on today's program, if you heard in the intro, we're going to be looking at the status and the update on three bills back in Washington, D.C. As U.S. Cattlemen's Association folks, uh, Jess Peterson, who's a senior policy advisor, and Leah Biondo, who is their executive vice president of that organization, they will be joining us to get us that update they are folks they are in the thick of things uh, on these and and so i'm interested to hear uh, what the update is on these three bills all three really do have some uh, really big elements or will be implemented if they are passed that will have some big effects on our industry many of these are topics that folks have been pushing for quite some time we'll see how that's going to progress as we hear from them here today also the captain tim o'burn publisher and editor of working ranch magazine magazine he is back this week for this week's edition of tim's two cents he will be up in just a few moments and then of course in our very last segment as we always have meteorologist don day will be stepping in with a look at our long-term weather and boy oh boy we have seen some pretty dramatic weather in the last week uh, across the country with the northern tier of the country above about that i-90 quarter seeing some pretty significant snowfall the rest of us not quite so much. So we're going to be talking about that with meteorologist Don Day. Well, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show. The American Simmental Association and Sim Genetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Also, Bobcat, one tough tractor. Visit Bobcat.com. Use that build and quote tool. You can design your own ideal machine. The American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. And the North American 
American Limousine Foundation. Limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. And finally today, the American Angus Association. And I know we're kind of on the tail end of the bull buying season, but there's still a lot of bulls to be purchased out there. And if you're buying uh, bulls this year, uh, Angus bulls, be sure to look for that registration number by the power by registered Angus bulls. Well, it's time now to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. And he and I kind of thinking alike this week when we come up with uh, what we were going to be talking about. He's going to give us that presser release of what that A-plus act is about that we're going to be talking about later in our show. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Here's a presser from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Last week, Representatives Vicki Hartzler and Jimmy Panetta introduced the Amplifying Processing of Livestock in the United States Act, or the A-plus Act. The bill would allow livestock auction markets to hold an ownership interest in, finance, or participate in the management or or operation of a packing facility that has a slaughter capacity of less than 1,000 animals per day or 250,000 animals per year. Currently, livestock auction yards are not allowed to finance or manage processing facilities, a regulation that dates back to terminal livestock markets in the 1900s when there was little separation between buying and selling agents. U.S. Cattlemen's Association President Brooke Miller issued the following statement, and I quote, The Packers and Stockyards Act is over 100 years old. It's time to modernize parts of this historic legislation that no longer makes sense in the modern world. Today's livestock auctions are often family-owned and regionally based. If one of these entities wanted to invest in a local processing facility in order to increase the processing capacity for producers in their area, there shouldn't be an outdated regulation holding them back from doing so. U.S. Cattlemen's would like to thank Representatives Panetta and Hartzler and the Livestock Marketing Association for working to advance this common sense regulatory fix. Folks, keep Justin in the loop on how this A-plus act progresses and whether it's actually going to help out some of our our regional uh, sale barns and ranchers get something together for a, a small local processing facility. That's my two cents. Justin, back to you. All right. Well, thanks, Captain. And folks, I got to tell you, he and I work independently. We don't sit down uh, at the front of the week and say, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do. I think what it proves, though, is the fact that uh, both of us uh, felt some of the stuff going on back in Washington, D.C. is quite important to our industry, which is why he wanted to talk about it and and did give us that explanation on that presser on the A-plus Act and also why we are going to cover not only that, but some of these other bills that are back in Washington, D.C. We're going to start that when we return turn on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. 
Well, we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we head now into our featured interview today. And uh, as I said in our opening, folks, uh, we're going to be kind of looking at a lot of different uh, topics and subjects of things that are happening back in Washington, D.C. that affect us, the ranchers, here out in the countryside. And as I said before, uh, today we're being joined uh, by Jess Peterson, who is the executive, uh, or excuse me, the senior policy advisor for the U.S. Cattlemen. And also joining us is Leah Biondo, who's the executive vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. So for both of you, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Always Great a to pleasure. Be here. <laughs> well, let's get started first. I'm just going to kind of go in order, guys, of, of kind of where things have happened and, and, and has evolved so far. So I think that puts us first talking about this uh, Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. And I know, Jess, this is something I've had you on the show talking a little bit about. It's something that was uh, really introduced quite a while ago, but there's been continual work on it. Uh, we've had some ins and outs on this whole deal, some revisions. And so as of here in April of 2022, where are we at with the cattle price discovery and transparency act well absolutely and i just for all you out there and working ranch radio listening country this now is the time it's now or never and look we understand uh you you got ups and downs with weather uh but this is a chance as you look to market your calves the next three to five years out demand's going to stay strong trade's going to be strong all the indicators you want you better have leverage and you better have price discovery and transparency that's exactly what this piece of legislation is but i'm going to tell you if this countryside and all you listeners don't get involved we will lose we have everything geared up i've never seen it lee and i have never seen our team our board our committee in a position where congress uh has been working on this we had former work done with the trump white house current work done with the biden white house you don't see you don't see Washington line up like this in your lifetime. So the countryside has got to line up and get engaged. So I hope as soon as you get done listening to this, you call up your senator, you call up your congressman, and you talk about these very important pieces of legislation and certainly the price discovery, the cattle price discovery and transparency act. Now, what it is going to do is we've all known the captive supply in this country in the Southern Plains, it's a cancer to the cattle industry. It has killed competition. These corporate feeders teaming up with packers, they're knocking down the price that you should be getting for your great quality cattle. We had a great bull sale run. We're just wrapping up bull sale season. Some incredible genetics in the countryside. You've invested. You've got through another winter of calving and working through calving. You better get some value on your calves. So what's it doing? It sets a floor for the southern plains they can go no lower the own the opponents ran an economic analysis to hopefully squash this bill the economic analysis says in the next three years cash trade will go to zero in the texas south plains that's problematic this puts a floor at around about 12 13 percent takes the last three-year average and it builds up from that so it immediately sets a floor and then once the bill is passed within the next two years it's going to bump it up we need to have some economic analysis to talk about robust cash trade it takes our friends in kansas some corporate feeders in there that again kind of play that now nah, we don't care we've got the feed hedged we just need to move these cattle it's going to put some uh it's going to put a, a floor there in kansas which again ensures that each and every packer has to be active in the cash each and every week. That means bidding on your 
quality cattle. It also takes the five area region and expands it to seven areas. So we expand the amount of packers covered by that. So again, we're going to expand the region. The old bill had, a, had just the five area. We're going to work to create a seven area. It's going to pull in a little bit of that Northwest uh, into the Dakotas and Minnesota. Again, creating that uh, cat, packers buying uh, cash in the open market. Okay, that's a big piece of the bill. Uh, you all, everybody in uh, listing radio country, you're, you're, you're listening to following that cattle on feed report. And sometimes it helps you and sometimes it gets pretty bearish. And what this will create is a cattle committed for delivery. You're going to know what that packer is killing for the next two weeks out. Those cattle committed. So if you're a feeder and, and you think that market should rally a little higher, you think those packers need those cattle, you're going to be able to see what they have lined up for their kill in the in the weeks in advance. That's a big deal because it allows you to stand up, get a good rally. Again, a good rally by a feeder that's finishing out cattle. They're going to turn and fill it with your good quality of feeder cattle. And so that's that's part of the bill. And we are we are super stoked about those key uh, provisions. It also obviously has the cattle contract library. Again, these special sweet deals that we haven't shined a light on, that's in there. Folks, this is a dream come true for your current operation and for generations to come. The Cattle Pricing Discovery Act, it gets it all done. Plus, as we like to say in our shop, uh, periodic review as we look at price reporting reauthorization every five years. We're going to evaluate how it's doing, what's working out, what needs to be modified. Incredible opportunity here before mm-hmm. us. Jess, I know that uh, when it first came out, there was you know maybe some mixed reviews, mm-hmm. fairly good support throughout the, the livestock industry, but a little bit mixed in some reviews. You talked about some changes that have uh, some modifications. You already talked about some of those, yeah. like the five states to seven states. What are some of the sticky points right now as you're working working to try to negotiate through this and get this pushed through, what are kind of some of the sticky widgets we're dealing with? Absolutely. I mean, one, some of the opponents are saying we don't like mandates. Well, I'm sorry, but it's mandatory price reporting. The Iowa and Nebraska feeders, you're already by law uh, mandated to report your data. And the folks getting the sweet deals go, hey, thanks for that data. You worked so hard to get that cash trade. We're going to go bake it into it. So by law, there's already the federal government involved. So we're saying, hey, if you're going to use that data, then you're going to play by the rest of the rules. And the rules are you're going to be active utilizing cash trade. So we're simply taking a government program that's already there. It was already a government mandate. We're just modernizing that mandate by putting a simple floor. They can build into this cash trade. They can make it work. So one, it's a workable system that's already part of an existing law. So the, so my friends out there that are saying, well, we don't like mandates, there already is a mandate. So get real. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the other side, folks say, well, it needs to be higher. Again, yeah, there's a lot of things I'd like in life. Uh, I'd like to have that ranch paid for right out of the chute. It's not going to happen. However, you got to start somewhere that's workable, and we think this is workable. It, it is it, 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 The level of Democrats and Republicans working together, there are mo- many days where Lee and I go, really? We'll see the news that comes out tonight that the rest of you folks are grumbling about, and we're going, wait, those members, those senators – those staffers were working together this afternoon 
on this piece of legislation. So again, to build that bipartisanship, to build some steps forward in progress. Yeah. It doesn't go as far as some people would like and other folks say it goes too far. I think that's the beauty of a good bill that can pass to make a difference on your cattle operation. So again, uh, that's where we're at. There's, it's a workable uh, piece of legislation. It takes into consideration the complexities that are out there and it adds again, some, uh, some common sense principles. Mm -hmm. So Jess on this particular bill, you've talked about some of the modifications, everything. So right now, what's the push now? Is it, is it, are we just trying to get, uh, we've got pretty good bipartisan support that you said across Republicans and and Democrat centers all across the country. So as we make, as we as you're asking for this push, what, what, does that entail? What are you wanting? Absolutely. So we, we worked a lot. And what was neat about this bill, it's been written by the countryside. I, I mean, we have spent more time uh, with, 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 with cattle producers, cattle feeders from every part of this country coming together, weighing in and, and having these key senators update the bill. Now, as a piece of legislation, we spent a lot of time uh, with the actual grassroots of uh, authors of the bill and, and, and folks have an input it needs to have its day uh, in court you might say in the country it needs to have its day in congress mm-hmm. which is a hearing a hearing will be coming up here on april 26th so that all these senators on the committee can look around uh have witnesses uh and 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 review it so both folks from the usda folks from the other side of this debate and folks that are supporting it and really vet this piece of legislation so now we have this bill it's been updated reintroduced and now it'll have its day in congress to be reviewed on the 26th of april the u.s Cattlemen's association is working really really hard to have a key witness to weigh in to talk about what this bill does for cattle country to talk about how it's good for the entire industry and of course uh steam colleagues on the other side of this debate will be putting out their best talking points against it and then we'll go to the races so to speak we'll get a we'll tee it up for a vote to get it out of the senate ag committee then to the floor of the senate and then work its way through the house mm-hmm. the u.s Cattlemen's association has been working really hard to make sure we have the votes to pass it through the committee as it stands we do and then we got to get it through the senate so this is as grassroots and of course the house this is as grassroots as it gets and folks you all are having a front seat and if you sit back on this one i got to tell you when cash rate goes to zero in two years don't turn to us because we're going to be grumbling because you didn't get involved out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good idea. So April 26th is that hearing, folks, as Jess yep. just talked about. And uh, we'd encourage you to go out there, uh, read through some of the information that's out there, be educated on it. And also, uh, I think the next thing, and we're going to talk about this really with all of these things that we're going to be talking about today is when you have uh, questions or you have a, an opinion about this, get a hold of your senator or representative yep. on that. So Jess, uh, uh, we're going to, and Leah, let's take a break here. Uh, when we come back, folks, we're going to talk. We got a couple different topics we also want to talk about, and that is the American Beef Labeling Act. And then also in our uh, later on, we're going to be talking about this new A plus act. So stay with us, folks, as we continue. My guest today is Jess Peterson, Senior Policy Advisor for U.S. Cattlemen, and Leah Biondo, who's the Executive Vice President of U.S. Cattlemen. Leah, I think you're up next. We're going to be talking about some of these other things. We'll be back. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Sale season's here again, and there are a lot of black-hided Angus bulls on the market. But not all of them are registered. Why take the risk? Don't gamble on unproven genetics. 
invest wisely with registered Powered by Angus Bulls. Backed by the power of the American Angus Association and 80 million data points, registered Angus Bulls give you the confidence in your buying decisions. Don't buy an imposter. Look for the registration number. Buy the power. Buy registered Angus Bulls. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today, Profit tomorrow. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, Jess Peterson, Senior Policy Advisor for the U.S. Cattlemen. And if you're just joining us now, uh, we were just visiting. Jess uh, was just giving us an update on the uh, where we're at with the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act as that goes to the hearing April 26. But, uh, Leah, let's go on to you now. I know you're a little bit more astute on what's going on with the American Beef Labeling Act. And uh, I guess let's get an update from you on where that is at. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, Justin, our members are the original proponents of truth in labeling. Our, our founding members have been involved in the mandatory country of origin labeling discussion since its inception. So it's one of the core founding uh, beliefs and values that USCA uh, holds. And so we are very interested in this American Beef Labeling Act, which was recently introduced in the House and was introduced earlier in the Senate by Senator John Thune, John Tester, Mike Rounds, all of our great rural champions over there. What this bill would do is it would reinstate mandatory country of origin labeling for beef. Um, How would it do that? It would require the U.S. Trade Representative in consultation with the Secretary of Agriculture to develop a WTO or a World Trade Organization compliant means of reinstating mandatory country of origin labeling for beef within one year of enactment. So Mm -hmm. within one year of the bill being passed, the secretaries of agriculture and the U.S. Uh, trade representative, they'll have to come together and figure out exactly how to create or develop this WTO compliant uh, means of reinstating MCOOL. Mm-hmm. If they don't do that within one year of enactment, MCOOL would be reinstated for beef only. So okay. it's a really incredible bill there. And it was uh, introduced in the House, too, um, which is always great news to have both a Senate and House driven uh companion bill there. Um, the House, the bill was introduced by Representatives Ro Canna out of uh, California and Lance Gooden out of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we are going to continue our, our push and our drive. We've had members uh, participate in a cool week of action earlier this year. Last year, we did a mini uh, virtual Washington, D.C. fly-in uh, focused on truth and labeling concerns. So we met with U.S. Trade Representative. We met with um, folks in USDA who are working on this issue and um, it remains one of our top priority issues here as we uh, you know keep keep pushing. Mm-hmm. 
when you refer back to the WTO, you know, it was I think it was was it around 2015 when we there was that effort to try to put, implement a country of origin labeling, and then of course the WTO came back and said, well, that's not going to work. So what you're saying here is that it's a requirement that they come up with a plan that fits the WTO, uh, which is World Trade Organization. For folks, if you're if you're not familiar with that, with what they are needing to say, it, I, I, my question then to you is. Is that possible, and what does that look like? What what needs to be done differently than what was done, you know, uh, seven years ago? That's a very good question, Justin. And this might be where I call on just to provide some historical context. But yeah, the reason that we lost MCool in the first place was it uh, we we lost to the WTO. We had uh, billions of dollars in tariffs about to be rained down on us, and um, it it really pressured Congress into repealing it. USDA did tear up tee up a, um, a a voluntary country of origin labeling bill that would have at least preserved the definition of beef of US beef in the books at USDA. Unfortunately, we we were not able to get that passed in time, and so we lost it entirely. But I might. Uh, uh, ask just for a little mm-hmm. bit more historical context on what it, what that WTO compliant uh, mandatory country origin labeling program might look like. Well, absolutely. And as listeners know, the World Trade Organization has lost a fair amount of its of its clout, right? Because the idea was that you would get member countries coming together, mm-hmm. quote unquote, level the playing field, and 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 basically play fair as it links to trade. We've seen that time and time again uh, not really play out, right? The, the good actors seem to be always on the losing end. The bad actors seem to just keep doing what they do. So I, I think the World Trade Organization as a whole is is, is probably not on the uh, on the high standard that folks, the the authors and the visionaries, uh, had it planned out to be. So I think that just WTO in general uh, is you know could use some could use a little bit of an overhaul as to how member countries play and and, and, and you know you it accordingly so what what happens though is you you look at this ruling from the wto and these folks at u.s trade representative's office they by law and by how it works out they defended cool at the level so in in their capacity at working the u.s trade representative and then there's a very uh, direct description we worked on u.s calvin's with our trade lawyers that we brought in to assist the u.s trade representative's office when that ruling came out there's some there's some uh, ruling elements in there that, you know, that said there's some very direct pieces in there that USTR could say, well, what if we modified cool in this fashion? Could it indeed uh, withhold, withstand a, a WTO case in, in the future? So again, basically kind of taking that ruling, repurposing that into some recommendations that they could either tee up or Congress could tee up. So the great thing about it that Leah mentioned, will we get country of origin labeling overnight? Uh, no, but what we will is we can get that roadmap, that blueprint for how to get some truth and labeling back on the books. And it's really that roadmap that we want to glean here in the days and weeks ahead, which is why this piece of legislation is so important. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think something I felt with uh, with country of origin labeling, I, I can tell you, really uh, foundationally, I think a lot of folks are in favor of it. I know there was some issues back years ago with how that was going to be funded to implement all of that. But I also see now today with the with the growth that we're seeing in branded type products that I believe it's really probably a lot more applicable or more ripe in the in the mindset of the industry to look at this and and really see a country of origin labeling happen, something happen. And so with this particular uh, 
act or a bill that they're looking at and moving forward to this, I think from an industry standpoint, we've been calling on it for years. Now, I think we're seeing consumers that are really being a little bit more astute to it too now. Couldn't say it better myself, Justin, 100% agree. Leah, and from your perspective, you know, I know from you're representing as executive vice president for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, as you said, it's an organization that you guys have been pushing uh, country of origin labeling really uh, a long, long time. you yourself have members within the organization that uh, really probably now having branded products and now seeing that this is something these consumers will pay for now. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we've seen these studies before that show that consumers are willing to pay more for a domestically grown product. And so it's it's an absolute no-brainer here. I mean, even if, if they aren't paying more, you know, they're still seeking out this information to make choices about what's best for their um, families. So mm-hmm. w- w- this sort of information is just invaluable to, to consumers and, and the producers do benefit too. So again, and and I know you kind of talked a little bit about the status of it right now, but just to kind of wrap that conversation up with it, just status of it now, it's been introduced. There's a, there's a, both a bill in the Senate and the house. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So we've got a bill in the Senate and a house companion bill was just recently introduced, which is great news in terms of um, really gaining some momentum. And we're seeing some new actors come on in support of this bill. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, it remains to be seen if, if we can get this bill over the finish line before the end of this congressional period. But regardless, you know, seeing this this newfound support um, from some unlikely bill sponsors is is good news when Mm -hmm. we're talking about the fight for truth and labeling. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Jess when it comes to the uh, Discovery and Transparency Act bill. What are some of the things you're bracing for that you're maybe going to be, uh, uh, that the opponents would be coming back on at? Of course, while there's still a large contingent um, of of opponents who maintain that this bill would cause undue um, costs to their business, uh, Jess can probably speak a little bit more to to why that might not be the case, but um, that's really been the number one uh, case that the opponents have made is is just that it costs too much to separate out this U.S. grown uh, product. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that argument was a little bit obsolete. They keep using these arguments. I think there was about 60 to 100 branded programs, and they were using that argument five years ago, Justin. And, yeah, we probably, what, doubled our branded yeah. program since then. So when you say, wow, we just really don't know how to segregate. we got about 100-plus uh, branded programs here. There's just no way for us to segregate basic country of origin labeling. It's going to say – if I see 10-year-old talking points used yet again against the topic, <laughs> I don't know how these guys keep a paycheck, but I guess they got to have you know, job stability since they yeah. can't get it the real way from the working cattle. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'll be honest with both of you. I mean, that would have been my argument many, many years ago when it first came out. Not that I was against the concept, but I just, yeah. you know, somebody's got to pay for it too. But, yeah. but like you said... It's it's our our industry, our beef industry is quite a bit different. There are tremendous amount of branded programs that are already doing this. So uh, I guess I would say that's probably not as valid of an argument as it used to be by any means, as you as you said. So uh, stay with us, folks. Uh, my guest today, if you're just joining us, Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President, U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Jess Peterson, Senior Policy Advisor for U.S. Cattlemen. We're talking about some th- some bills that are back in Washington D.C. that affect us as ranchers out here. Uh, we just finished up 
talking about uh, the the latest bill that covers country of origin labeling on American Beef Labeling Act. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about this new A-plus act. We'll explain what that acronym stands for when we come back as we continue here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Living in the country means working in the country, and that calls for a tough tractor. Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the Build and Quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit Bobcat.com. Whoa, Herefords are the efficiency experts for a reason. In crossbreeding systems, Herefords boost pregnancy rates by 7% and add $30 per head in feed yard profitability. And Hereford genetics bring unrivaled hybrid vigor, longevity, and disposition. Now that'll stop you in your tracks. Come home to Hereford for more pounds, more calves, and more profit. Visit Hereford.org for a sale near you. And we welcome you back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Jess Peterson, Senior Policy Advisor for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. I appreciate you guys joining us here as we head into our last segment here with you. We've been talking about, folks, if you're just joining us, some of the activities going on back in Washington, D.C. on legislation and bills that affect us here in the ranching industry. New, though, this is the more recent one, and uh, Leah, I'm going to go to you on this one and this is the amplified processing of livestock in the united states and luckily just like they do with everything there is a nifty little acronym that goes with that and that's the a plus act and so let's talk about this i know the captain mentioned it a little bit ago uh, in his remarks about this uh, legislation that would allow uh the the uh, sale barns to get invested in some of the small uh, processing facilities i want you to explain it a little bit more in depth though Yes, so we love a good acronym. The A Plus <laughs> Act would allow livestock market owners to invest in, to uh, become part owner, to become full owners in small meat packing plants. And there is a per head limit on what constitutes a small meat packing plant. And that limit is a uh, facility that um, slaughters uh, of less than 2,000 animals per day or less than 700,000 animals per year. So this cap excludes investment in the top 10 meat packers, um, which is an important note. But we, uh, as you may know, our vice president here, Justin Mm -hmm. Tuffer out of St. Ange, runs that livestock auction there right in town. And um, he's also a member of the Livestock Marketing Association, which was one of our huge partners on this bill. It's something that they heard from a lot of their members on. Um, They want to capitalize on some of these opportunities that are coming out to invest in small meat packing facilities. And um, this was one of the uh, regulations that was standing in their way. It's from the Packers and Stockyards Act, which is over 100 years old at this point, um, needs to be modernized, of course. And this was one of the, uh, again, one of the regulations that they identified that if we could maybe just tweak this slightly, they could... um, 
help open up some more shackle space for these uh, or for, for independent regional processing facilities, which is really great on the whole um, for the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is a bipartisan bill. I see, uh, you know, we've got a Republican Democrat both introducing this particular bill. Uh, as as you've started this process, I know it's 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 relatively new in, in, in the process of it getting introduced back in D.C. How do you feel the support of this is going to come across in the committees? Great question. Yeah, it's a very bipartisan bill. It is just in the House at this point, so we'll have to look for some Senate uh, companion bill here in the years ahead. But um, in, in the committees, you know, this 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 has uh, got a good chance, really. We've got some really major players in, in terms of industry support standing behind it, Livestock Marketing Association, U.S. Cattlemen's Association, um, even the National Cattlemen's Beef Association supports this bill. Um, so it, it, it does have that, that good industry and um, state-level support that's driving it. Uh, of course, we are running out of time in this congressional session. Yeah. Our midterm elections will be coming up here shortly, so... Uh, uh, there's a lot of priorities on Congress's plate right now. Do, do they get to it before the end of the year? I'm not so sure, but um, it's it's still great to see stuff like this being introduced. And, of course, it does direct the secretary to make these sorts of changes. So maybe it's something where we go over to USDA and see what can be done there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have seen some some growth in our industry and some, some uh, real interest in developing some of these smaller meatpacking operations. Of course, in the last segment, we were talking about country of origin labeling and, and the, the the increase in branded beef programs that are happening a lot of these branded beef programs really are being implemented a lot easier through these smaller to mid-sized packing plants exactly and Jess has been working with a couple of uh, great partners in that space um, Jess I don't know if you want to jump in here and, and kind of give an overview of some of those branded uh, beef programs in the sense of every option matters right now as we're looking for increasing capacity, right? This is truly a no-brainer. And, of course, you're in a situation, too, where, you know, I, you talk about a law that needs to be modernized. This law was put into place when some of you, uh, I don't even know if you listeners remember, you might have an old grainy photo <laughs> of when we had uh, cattle cars that we were using hauling back and forth uh, out of the sale barn, right? Fat cattle going out of the sale barn. And, and so the idea is that, you know, they said, well, we wouldn't want to have meat packers owning that, you know, meat packers tied to sale barns because then they would completely uh, take over that type of piece. Well, right now we, we know that's, that's far from it. It's actually a reverse situation that's happening right now where sale barn owners need to increase some capacity. They have some investment. They're willing to take that risk and that investment, build this community, which would add some additional shackle space. It, what, you know, what is this going to do against the big four, the big six? It'll again, add that additional capacity help with some of those exactly what you talked about the, the, your local uh, stores now that are carrying uh, regional local uh, products they can fill their needs again cr- ensuring that you're going to get a little bit better price what you, a more re- more competitive price for what you should be getting for your cattle so this is a true uh, success story in the works in the makings uh, I think we're st- as we're staring at farm bill right now this could easily be looped in to farm bill discussions folks if you're wanting to look for some optimism in the cattle industry right now this is a no brainer, you know, one step at a time approach that we need to take. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys, because when I first saw this, it's, it's not that I was opposed to it by any means, but I will tell you, the, the only flag that kind of came up in my mind, but I think I think it's it's being covered here because it's only allowing into these smaller packing plants is that I will tell you, there's a lot of sale barn owners 
that also have a vested interest in feedlots, you know, or ranches, ranching, sale barn, feedlot, processing, kind of an integrated uh, integrated situation there. But I think, I, I'm just going to be honest with you, that was a little bit of a red flag I saw, but I think it's probably been guarded here in the fact that just the investment in, in the, the smaller packing uh, operations, is that correct? No, absolutely. No, and you look at that. No, absolutely. And then we've we've heard some we've heard some feedback from that, and that's and that's well warranted. Um, there's still going to be very strict oversight, and 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 what you're looking at though is is it takes a lot of money to run a meatpacking plant, and so if you could have some of that investment, and, and what you're probably going to find is you know c- case in point, if if you're part if you're on a sale barn and you're saying, hey, look, I'd like to take a portion of my dollars and be an investor and an owner in a sale barn, you're probably going to have a handful of other folks in the community that are that are chipping in well all of a sudden we're saying nope sorry uh you want a sale barn or you're, you're tied to sale barn you can't be a part of it so and again we're looking at right now is yeah you might be a little bit concerned but i would take that threat again properly regulated but take that threat of the uh, the analogy you just walked through i'll take that vis-a-vis Chinese or Brazilian money owning our meat processing plants, right? And so it's kind of the 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 one set of concerns you might have versus some global uh, globalized uh, setting that we have right now with these multinational meatpacking plants. So we do think the good outweighs any negative here with, again, a very focused eye on how they're properly regulated to make sure, again, just as you said, you're not getting in any type of slippery slope. But as Leah referenced, the size and scope of what these are going to be entailing and the fact that you you know anytime we can build a little bit more packing capacity at this level with proper oversight hey i think we're headed in the right direction mm-hmm. you know and leah you mentioned it a little, little bit ago and i i feel it's a little bit unique to some of these bills that come through and that is <laughs> you have broad support across many of the ag uh, cattle industry groups with this as well Exactly, exactly. So we've got the broad support there. As Jess mentioned, it's supporting uh, American businesses here instead of these uh, international foreign-owned multinational Mm -hmm. meatpacking corporations. You know, it's those um, per-head regulations that they have on there. And again, that's less than 2,000 head per day or less than 700,000 head per, per year. Those were specifically put in there to exclude investment by the top 10 meat packers. Um, so they, they put this in place. Uh, I will say the bill also directs the secretary to kind of work to revise these um, regulations. So it's an opportunity, again, for industry to step in at that point and provide some advice and counsel to the secretary on how exactly this should shape up to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, uh, we're just about to wrap up with time here. I want to thank you for joining us. And as we kind of conclude here, just some final comments from you both as far as, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've talked about three of these bills and and really the the one that's really coming up here quickly is this transparency act so uh really folks need to be involved i mean that's the only way uh we're going to get some of this stuff happening is we got to be educated and get involved a great way to do that too usca has its annual washington dc fly-in coming up this june 11th through the 14th this is our premier event and we have been sidelined by uh coronavirus here for the past two years it's just not the same doing this advocacy in a virtual setting so we're excited to welcome people back to the nation's capital and we highly encourage if you're listening to this podcast and you made it this far clearly you have an interest in the policies and regulations 
questions that affect your business, come to Washington and speak to those lawmakers that are making these decisions. Again, that's June 11th through the 14th, and you can find all the information on our website at uscattleman.org. All right, Leah, thanks so much. Jess, final comments from you. Hey, folks, it's it's never an easy time in the cattle business, but I've never been more optimistic in my entire life. And both I, I've got a bank note like a lot of the listeners out there running cattle, trying to make ends meet. So I feel it very near and dear in our pocketbook and our operations, especially when we've been fighting the weather and everything else. I can tell you I've never been more optimistic about if you can just stay in it. Stay in it. We're going to get through this. We're going to see it to the other side. You just heard nothing but good news coming your way if we can just come together congress i've never seen congress so willing to work so hard i think congress has a short-term memory span and they're taking advantage of it meaning you know we they they still have that that tyson's fire that we thought was the worst thing ever in 2019 until COVID entered the picture so we have this kind of this short-term memory that's really loud and 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 and, and pressing on these members to get something done and so we have that we want to use that learn from some very tough times and so for you all out there, stay in it for the lenders, stay in it with these folks. Uh, we've got incredible opportunity. Uh, we see, you don't have to look too far in the news to see the, the global situation, the importance of having a strong food supply. We've got it here in the U.S. We've got some optimism. Let's get that leverage. Let's bring it back. Let's build back your equity. Now's never been a better time. I'd find any way you can to stay in that cattle business and keep after it because we are looking for some good times ahead here, folks. All right. Well, Jess, thanks for joining us again, folks. Jess, Peterson, Senior Policy Advisor for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, and Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President, U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Thanks, you two. I appreciate you joining us here on our program today. Thanks so much for the opportunity. By the way, folks, uscattleman.org, as Leah was saying, if you want more information on on some of the stuff that they're following there, and uh, be involved. Get involved in your industry groups. I know a lot of us are probably involved in more than one industry group. Let them know. Let those representatives know. Let your senators, your representatives know as well, and uh, we can move forward on some of this legislation that will be beneficial to our ranching and beef industry. We'll stay with us when we come back. Meteorologist Don Day steps in with a look at our long-term weather. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at akaushi.com. That's AK. A-U-S-H-I dot com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we head now with a look at our long-term weather. Meteorologist Don Day joining us, and you've been kind of out and about here the last uh, week or so traveling in, through Nebraska and Kansas, and the wind, boy, I'll tell you what, this spring, the wind has just been I don't know. I as you were as we were talking about before. There's worse words than than I was using, but it's been pretty brutal. Oh, it has been. Uh, the wind um, covering a lot of geography, um, and it all started with a, a very large storm that formed over the northern plains and northern Great Lakes, and brought three days of just really intense wind across the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and then and we even had some uncharacteristically strong winds. That got all the way into portions of Iowa and eastern Kansas, areas that really not used to the winds that folks in the Rockies and High Plains sometimes mm-hmm. uh, suffer through. Now, it's not unusual. Actually, if you were to look at 
averages, you would, you would tend to find that some of the windiest weather you can get in the central and western United States actually happens in March and April. Um, but it, it was wind that came after a period of some nicer weather to where you know, well, a lot of folks were calling it a false spring. And some folks yeah. are wondering where that went <laughs> as uh, folks are you know, still digging out from some very heavy snows across Montana and North Dakota and some very chilly temperatures you know, still exist right now in some of those northern areas. And that is associated with a lot of wind as well. So the wind is mm-hmm. certainly testing a lot of patients and you can certainly know why people had cabin fever back in the <laughs> homesteading days when the winds just seemed to go days and days. Yeah. Well, let's talk about coming up here. Uh, you just touched on it briefly that the northern tier of the country and up into Canada, they had some pretty good moisture in this last big storm that went through. But, you know, you take that maybe I-90 south quarter all the way across the country has been drier. And even then you drop down below I-70 and, and down in there and it's even drier. So are, are we going to see anything here in the next couple of weeks that some of these southern parts, central to southern parts of the country, are going to see some some more moisture yeah we certainly hope so and, and using the the east-west interstates is a really way good way to kind of divide things up as you mentioned along and north of interstate 90 um, some really good precipitation and there's really nowhere in the central and western united states where someone's just sitting in a lot of moisture so this is one of these situations where i know a lot of folks missed out on this storm but folks who were able to get the moisture that really needed finally got some and what we're hoping is is that as we go through the second half of april and as we get into early may that maybe we can get a couple of these west coast storms to come off the pacific northwest and take more of a southerly route because that's what we need to get that better moisture south of i-90 and get it between let's say 90 and 80 and then uh, hopefully get some moisture between 70 and 80 and then Let's use. Let's throw in another interstate. Why not? Let's throw an I forty <laughs> yeah, yeah. across uh, you know New Mexico and Texas. And we had touched on this that it looked like the relief from moisture was going to be in a gradient that goes north to south, with the northern areas benefiting the most. And I think that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. here uh, through the rest of this weekend and into the middle parts of this new week here is that we're going to continue to see the Pacific Northwest and parts of the Northern Rockies and the Northern Plains getting the best chances for moisture. I do see the snowpack and the Northern and Central Rockies and even the Sierra Nevada, California, getting, getting some good moisture. But for that South of I-90 along 80 and along 70 and down to 40, that's where it's going to get harder. Now we do see next weekend a system that is going to track further south that may bring some rain activity maybe some thunderstorms and some high country snow to those areas south of i-90 to 80 and 70. now whether or not it ends up being a a large slow moving storm which is what we want to see that's still something that we've we've got to determine but i will say this before april's over and into the first week of may I do see some opportunities for those central and southern areas that missed this last storm to get some opportunities. Um, but I think the further south you go, um, south of I-70, along I-40, those are the areas that I think are going to have the harder times. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's uh, good news for some, hopeful news for others, and, and, and concerning news for others as well. So uh, thanks, which is, if you didn't about offend everybody in a weather report, you didn't do your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> the one thing about 
storms and precipitation, precipitation in particular, it never falls evenly mm-hmm. and it never, never, never is in a situation where everybody gets what everybody wants for sure. It ends up being a numbers game and you just need the frequency of systems to increase, which it usually does in the spring to start of even out those chances for everybody. Um, so let's let's hope things get spread out a little bit more generously by Mother Nature here in the coming weeks. You bet. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here, giving us a look at our long-term weather. Thanks for having me. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with that look of our long-term weather across the country, always unsettling this time of the year for folks and a little nerve-wracking for some of us that have yet to see any significant moisture as we are approaching the middle and latter part of April here. But nevertheless, uh, if you want to find out more about his weathercast, feel free to go to his website at dayweather.com. And of course, he also kicks out a daily video podcast every Monday through Friday morning. Well, stay with us when we come back. We'll put a wrap on this week's episode when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Well, before we go here today, I did want to give you an idea of some of the topics or things that I am working on to hope to bring to you regarding programs down the road. One is on precision ranching. Now, you've heard of precision farming. Well, what about precision ranching? South Dakota State University doing some research on that. They have been doing some research on that and uh, working with them to see about doing that on on a program down the road. Also, I came across some research on genetic uh, testing of the types of cattle that fit specific environments for effective grazing. Uh, Interesting topic. I am researching that just a little bit. We'll see if we can flush that out a little bit more and maybe we'll be bringing that to you as well down the road. Now, if you come across something you'd like us to cover here on the show, don't be afraid to send me an email or if uh, you have some feedback, please don't be afraid to send me an email as well. Justin.WorkingRanch at gmail.com. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show, it's a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. And if you don't have a subscription to the Working Ranch Magazine, tell you right now, you're missing out. You can go to the website at workingranchmag.com and you can start your subscription here today. Well, be sure to join us right here each and every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM or on your podcast provider. A quick shout out to the folks there in Nashville with Rural Radio. Appreciate your help this week on our program and your patience as well. I thank you for all your work that you do to make us look good here on our programs that we do. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.